0: I don't usually use a prop for my in my sermons, but once in a while, so I have a prop today. And uh, what I have here is a case for glasses, but they're not just any kind of glasses, not just any sunglasses. I get excited when I see this case because it says on it says the brand on the outside. It says POC, P-O-C, and that means nothing to you unless you're a snowboarder, a uh, snow skier, maybe. Uh, Or a cyclist. POC glasses. Just makes me excited unzipping it. Got three different sets of lenses in here. I don't even want to touch them. I've got my awesome little POC baggie here to protect the lenses. I'm all about lenses. I don't want to touch them. I don't want my kids to touch them. Fingerprints, you know. It's awesome. POC glasses. I might let you touch them if you don't touch the lenses after the service. $230 protective eyewear. Retail. On POC's website, it says this. I'm trying to impress you with POC. POC is a Swedish company with a strong mission to do the best we can to possibly save lives and to reduce the consequences of accidents for gravity sports, athletes, and cyclists. One of my friends likens POC to the Volvo of cycling, safety, I want to be safe, it's Swedish so it must be right, right? Well I can testify, POC makes good stuff, I have a POC helmet, a team issue POC helmet that I slid on the asphalt wearing, going about 35 miles an hour, and uh, no injury, got up, helmet was a mess, the rest of my body was a mess, but I could still preach sermons, I like POC. I'm a huge fan. I wear glasses like this when I race bicycles uh, because I want my eyesight to be protected. Uh, I wouldn't wear just anything. Uh, It's worth the investment. But here's the thing with these POC glasses. I would never wear these POC glasses in a bicycle race. In fact, maybe you could pay me, but generally speaking, you couldn't pay me to wear these. Because even though it has a POC case, POC lenses, all the lenses say POC on them. It's got the perfect little baggie here that says POC. In fact, if I can read the inside, it even says, designed and engineered by POC. These are fake. These are knockoffs. These are worthless when it comes to protecting your eyes. They didn't cost $230. Good illustration for what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual fakers. People who claim to represent God and to have all of the right branding and all of the right verbiage. And many times they look exactly like the real thing. Unless you know better. And in 1 John, we have a book in the Bible, it's toward the very end, and it's designed to give Christians assurance. And it's designed to give Christians assurance of salvation because the world is filled, 1 John says, with spiritual knockoffs, with spiritual fakers. They say they will save not your eyesight, but your soul. They say they will protect you and give you confidence, but in reality, they're not to be trusted in the least bit, and that's what 1 John is about, and this morning we're going to be looking at 1 John. I'll come back to the pock lenses at the end, so you don't want to leave early, and I'll tell you why it's actually a terrible illustration, but for now, I think it's a good illustration. They look like the real deal They claim to be the real deal, but in reality, they're not the real deal. They're deceivers. But this morning, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and what we're going to do in 1 John chapter 2 is look at verses 18 to 27. And if you're a note taker like I am, we will be able to organize our thoughts around five critical reminders, five important reminders regarding the dangerous times that we live in. These are spiritually dangerous times, and there are reminders from John the Apostle who was with Jesus, who knew what Jesus did, knew what Jesus taught, knew the meaning of what Jesus did, and he, with his pastoral um, hat on, so to speak, is coming to us saying, Let me remind you of things. He uses wording that's, it's reminder kind of wording. This is not new stuff. This is stuff Christians are supposed to know. And so I want to echo and, and take John and, and use him, if you will, in your life and say, we got to remember some things. We have to remember these things or it will steal your joy. Um, it, it, it will it will take away your assurance. It will take away your boldness, your confidence, and your even devotion to Christ. So, five reminders uh, that are critical for us as Christians for safeguarding. So, number one, critical reminder number one: remember the times. Remember the times we are living in. Let's go ahead and see in verse 18. Children, John says, not writing to kids. He's writing to those who are younger than him. Probably literally because he's at the end of his life. But even in the faith. It's affectionate, it's caring. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that anti-Christ, which would be against Christ or instead of Christ, the real Christ, is coming... So now, many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So it is the last hour. It is the last hour. And he's saying, we know this. So apparently, he's writing to Christians. And Christians are supposed to know this. And certainly, I would suggest to you that you should know this too. We're supposed to know that we're living in the last hour, the last time. And by the way, if they were living at the last hour, we're at the last, the latter part of the last hour. I don't need, I want to be careful in what I say. 2,000 years ago, it's the last hour. Now, oftentimes Christians don't think in these terms. It, and apparently they're supposed to know that that would be characterized not only by great gospel advancement, but also by by great fakery, by great trickery. And so we're supposed to know this. And so I'm reminding you, it's, we don't live in a spiritually neutral time. We don't live in a time where everyone who says uh, God or claims to say this is what God says or whatever uh, is telling the truth. We need to know that. And apparently at this particular time, it's a worser time. Just trying to get you to pay attention a dangerous time and we're supposed to know this. Don't go through your Christian life thinking everyone, everybody, everybody talking about Jesus is going to heaven. Antichrist, either against him or instead of him. And by the way, if you're instead of him, you're against him. We're supposed to know this. And in case you're, you don't know this, I, I should remind you that according to Hebrews chapter 1, that when Jesus came... That kicked off the last days, right? Remember Hebrews chapter 1, God speaks and God has spoken in various and sundry ways. If you're King James, I think, I don't even know, but in all different ways, God has spoken through the prophets and throughout history. But then it says in these, what? Last days, he's spoken to, to us through his Son. And so not to get too far off track when people talk about whether or not we're living in the last days and are we or aren't we and maybe we should write a book about it. We've been living in the last days since Jesus showed up. That's the reality Hebrews chapter 1. There's going to be a lot of deceiving amidst a lot of gospel-ing. We need to know that. We need to be aware of that so we don't have our joy stolen. Many antichrist have come the word christ is the word from the old testament messiah uh literally it means anointed one but uh so in a literal sense if someone came to your house and you wanted to show them hospitality you might anoint their hands with oil because they're dry and they need some first century vaseline right or jurgens or whatever the lotion is going to be and they've traveled or you might anoint their head with oil because it's dry. It was used in a very daily kind of way, but then it was also adopted in a ceremonial kind of way where you would, you would bless someone, acknowledging someone, uh, in, in a certain unique task. And royalty uh, became anointed. Okay, Uh, They blessed them in a very official kind of way for all to see. And so the king would be anointed as king with a ceremony and oftentimes using oil for anointing. But it's symbolic. Jesus is the anointed one. The royal one, the Messiah, the king who will deliver his people, rescue his people, provide for his people, take care of his people. He's the ultimate king, protector, savior, guide, if you will. Many fakers, many supposed deliverers, that would be a good way just to summarize the whole thing, are going to come and they can't deliver. And that's the problem. Deliverer, Savior, Fulfiller, Protector, bringer of true happiness would be different ways of of looking at this. If you have kids, you can relate to this. If you don't have kids, you can relate to this. Because anyone who cares about kids when they're gullible, young, naive, not jaded yet, we have to tell them and and get them ready for the big bad world out there that everyone who seems nice isn't nice and you can't always trust people because they might try to do something that's actually not going to help you or encourage you or make you happy they're going to do something to you that will hurt you just basics you can't trust everybody And so we need to remember that. We need to remember the times that we're living in. Now, number two, critical reminder for our safeguard, for our assurance, for our Christian living. Number two, remember Sesame Street. Remember Sesame Street. You'll see where I'm going. I don't know what kind of sermon this is going to be, right? He starts with sunglasses, now it's Sesame Street. Remember what you learned in preschool days. Remember what you learned when you just started learning things. That's what I mean by remember Sesame Street. Preschool basics. Look at verse 19 how basic it is. John says to us as Christians, They went out from us. Think about Sesame Street. Outside. But they were not of us. Inside. For if they had been of us inside, they would have continued with us inside. But they went out, outside. You're good. That it might become plain. See, there's just basic things inside, outside. And they all, that they all are not of us. They're not all inside. And if they went outside, you know they're not inside. Right? We can learn this from, from the green frog talking to Grover. Right? Is Grover inside the box? No, Grover's under the box. Is Grover inside the box? No, he's outside of the box. It's plain. These are the basic things we learn. And when it comes to false teachers, it should be plain. If they're on the outside, they're not on the inside. Inside. And if they're on the outside, they're not Christians. And if they're not Christians, should we trust them? No, so we don't say, well, I know they're on the outside, but boy, we can really learn a lot about God from them and their devotion and their prayer earnestness and whatever it might be. No, if you're not on the inside, you're on the Thank you class. So it would be plain. Right? Think about false teachers and think about how we somehow we have this weird fascination with them or people you know have this weird fascination with them even though they don't tell the truth about Jesus. There's just something about them. We get drawn in. And John is saying, "Hey, you know what? It's real plain if they're not on the inside, they're on the outside." So stop pretending like they're on the inside. They're antichrist. They're going to rob your joy and your assurance. Stop. Outside, inside. Don't listen to them. Don't find inspiration from them. They're on the outside. So here's a little exercise. There's one true living God who has always been God and He has always existed and always will exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Inside? Inside. There are nine members of the Godhead. Inside? Outside? Outside. Yeah, Benny Hinn, outside. I remember when I worked at what is now Parables, it used to be the Christian Book Center. I'm a new Christian, thought it'd be good. I needed to make a little extra money. And so we had stacks of Benny Hinn's Good Morning, Holy Spirit, first edition. But we wouldn't have them out. I'm getting confusing. We wouldn't have them on the shelf. But we have them under the counter in the back. And I was always like, why are we doing this? Nine members of the Godhead. Oh, by the way, they changed it once the publisher said, Benny Hinn, we know God told you this, but we need to change this because it's not Trinitarian. That should tell you something, by the way. If Thomas Nelson has more authority than God telling you something, there might be uh, something strange going on. But we were there to serve the entire Christian community. So we had them in the back because we were there to serve the entire Christian community. And I want to say, outside! It's outside! It's not inside. It's not under the counter inside. It's outside! Well, let's keep going. I won't go so slow. He is, Jesus is the atonement, the propitiation for our sins, ultimate forgiveness. If you're trusting in Him, your sins are forgiven and always will be forgiven, inside or outside? Inside! But when you die, you might have to go suffer in purgatory for a while because you're not perfect. Outside! That's outside. All right, you're doing pretty good, getting warmed up. Let's try another one. Eternal life comes by believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, period. Inside. And you must believe in Jesus and do all of these things, and eventually maybe God will finally justify you. That's outside. You're doing awesome. Kermit would be proud. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Inside, that's what Jesus says. There are many paths that lead to God. It's outside. See, these are just basic things that are meant to be made plain. And he's saying, stay away from those who are on the outside. Because if they had been with us truly, they would have stayed with us. But they went out from us. And it doesn't mean they went to a different local church. Don't, don't use this on your friends who went somewhere else. Okay? If they're not affirming the basic truths about Christianity, the basic truths about Jesus, you know what? Don't find goodness in them spiritually because there's not any to be found. It's really, really straightforward. And I wanted to say I don't mean to be demeaning, but I kind of do. This is meant to just be super straightforward. And I love it that... that, Now, I'll I'll say that. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let's go to number three. Critical reminder number three if we're going to have assurance and confidence. Number three, remember what you have and know. Remember what you have and what you know. Here's what I was going to say. I just was going to say it too soon. I love it that John, even though he's teaching things, and even though he's shepherding and pastoring these people, what he's really doing is saying, this is stuff that's already been made clear. See, he's not sounding like the false teacher. This is, I've got something new. And if you don't have what I have, then you don't have anything, so you need me, blah, blah, blah. No. He's just saying, "This, this is basic Christianity. You already know this stuff. And here he's going to make it real clear. Remember what you already have and what you already know. He's so distancing himself from false teachers who are all about, you got to have something new and extraordinary. Okay, how about verse 20? But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Jesus is referred to as the Holy One in John chapter 6, verse 69. So I think it's pretty safe to conclude that means Jesus here. You have been anointed by Jesus, by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So you have and have. You're not looking for something new. You have and you have. 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. You have something already, you have something already, you know something already, and you know something already. So remember what you have, remember what you know. And isn't it interesting that false teachers, so many times, you got to know the extras. Or you have to have the extras. False teachers even love to, they love to talk about that A word, don't they? The anointing. I listened to hours of people talking about the special kind of anointing. And I want that time back. But false teachers love it. When we just read this text, you have the anointing by the Holy One. If Jesus is the Holy One in John's Gospel account, and He promised to uniquely bless believers when He left, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, it's a pretty good conclusion. I don't know of anyone who would disagree with this conclusion. He's referring to the excuse me, to the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living and abiding within you that came from none other than Jesus. And you already have that anointing. And so when so-and-so, brother, sister, so-and-so, whoever, apostle, so-and-so says, you have to have the anointing. I have the anointing. That's how it usually is. I have the special anointing, and so you need to come to me because I've got secrets. And you can't really know God and you can't really have assurance and you can't really live a fulfilled Christian life unless you come to me because I've been uniquely anointed. And maybe then eventually you could become anointed too. I watched a video yesterday. The, 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 the The people in England were, they went to Smith Wigglesworth's grave and they were laying on the grave wanting to do, they were doing grave sucking. Okay? Look it up online. Grave sucking. Sometimes it's called, if you want to be nicer, grave soaking, and they wanted Wigglesworth's anointing to come on you. I've heard Benny Hinn does this at Catherine. He used to do this at Catherine Coleman's grave. Some special, secret, extraordinary, because now I've got power that you don't have, you ordinary, silly Christians. It's it's shenanigans. I love John's verbiage. You have the anointing. You have what you need to empower you, to control you, to illumine you, to better understand the Bible. You have the anointing. And you know what you need to know about Jesus. I like what Martin Luther said about these kinds of false teachers. They speak such things in order to lead us away from the scriptures and make themselves masters over us that we should believe their dream sermons. Think about that. They're seeking to become masters over us because they're the haves. Unlike the rest of us dumb Christians. He's saying, false teachers. Because we're all, if we're Christians, haves. We have the anointing. We've been blessed uniquely by God, not orphaned, but blessed uniquely by God with His very own Spirit indwelling us and abiding in us. Now, there's two different ways, and depending on the translation that you're using, uh, in verse 20, it's rendered two different ways. And I just want to draw your attention to it. Um, Toward the end there, verse 20, "...and you all have knowledge..." I think I must have had it in a different translation, a different way because I, I automatically read it the other way. And you have all knowledge. You have all knowledge or you all have knowledge. It can go either way. I would suggest to you, both are true. He's writing to even those who are children. They ha- spiritually speaking, they have the anointing. You all have the knowledge about Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. So this is not about haves and have-nots. You all have it. But he could also mean the other way, and that is you have all knowledge. Because, by the way, he's going to talk that way in 1 John as well. You're not lacking in knowledge about Jesus and how to be saved and how to have eternal life. You know what you know to have eternal life. He's going to get to that. And again, just remember that amidst a broken, fallen world, and we're living in the last time where so-and-so and such-and-such knows all kinds of things you never heard of before. Just remember, you've been uniquely blessed by Jesus, you have the anointing, and you know all the things you need to know about how to have eternal life. So whatever they're buying, or whatever they're selling, you shouldn't be buying Whatever they're smoking is what I was going to say. You ought not be smoking. And we might want to say, yeah, but... I love verse 21. I write you not because you do not know the truth. Context, truth about Jesus. Truth about eternal life as we're going to see. You do. But because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. And think with me on that. At first it kind of escapes your notice maybe. And no lies of the truth. You already know and you already know the truth. And no lies of the truth. So these false teachers who are telling lies are not of the truth. Stop listening to them. Because in my mind I try to justify it and think, well, you know, maybe we could learn some things. And he says, no lies of the truth. Oh, by the way, as an aside, we can learn lots of things from unbelievers. Because they're made in God's image. It's not what 1 John's talking about. He's talking about spiritual things. Things that have to do with eternal life. No lies of the truth. So don't think you're going to get some good things when they don't believe the basic things about eternal life and about Jesus in the spiritual realm. I think the end of verse 21 is kind of answering that. Yeah, but that I might have in me. I love John chapter 8 verse 32. You will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. Think about all of the All of the tradition and all of the human teaching and all of the authority that was imposed upon the people by the time Jesus shows up on earth and all the extra, 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 extra stuff that you had to know and you had to do. And Jesus is talking about himself who's called the truth even by himself. And he says, you will know the truth. You're going to know me. And that truth is going to set you free. you you are set free from the false teacher hucksters because you know the truth about Jesus. John chapter 1, He's the eternal one. He comes to earth. He becomes one of us. He explains God so we can know God. Keep reading, he does everything right on behalf of people who've never done the right thing ultimately. Then he's treated as if he did everything wrong and he goes to the cross and he is punished as a sinner even though he's sinless. He's raised again from the dead and he himself taught that if you trust in him and in him alone, you'll have eternal life. That puts a lot of peddlers out of business. And it gives you freedom. Because you know the truth. You know the truth. It's awesome. Number four. Critical reminder number four for safeguarding. Remember Christianity 101. Remember Christianity 101. Kind of takes me back to Sesame Street. But. 22 says. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Remember, the Christ, the Messiah, the ultimate King, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate Savior, the one who will give you assurance of eternal life. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? If you deny that, you are the liar. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So that's not very complicated. In fact, it's very illuminating. Uh, illuminating, yeah. You can see things clearly. He's making it 101. If you believe the truth about Jesus, regarding his relationship uh, to what he did, and his relationship—what I meant to say—is with his Father. You know, who? Let's boil it down to this. We we talk in shorthand. If you understand his person. He's the eternal Son who's always been the Son has always been with the Father and He became one of us. If you understand His person, sinless as well, righteous as well, and you understand His work that by atoning for our sins, we can have peace with God and forgiveness because of His resurrected we're guarant- resurrection, we're guaranteed resurrection. These are just basic things about Jesus, 101 kind of stuff. And then you say, all right, let's figure out who the liars are. The liars are the people who say the wrong thing about the person and work of Jesus. There are not three legitimate Abrahamic faiths. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. He who denies the Father and the Son, not just their existence, John is talking about their right relationship together like Jesus did in John chapter 8. Before Abraham was, I am. How about 23? No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I'm having a Mark Twain moment, right? Some of you know what I mean. My Mark Twain moment is Twain, who is no friend of Christianity, said it's, it's not the, the hard-to-understand stuff in the Bible that I don't like. It's the stuff that's utterly clear that I don't like. I mean, this is so not PC, it's not even funny. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. To confess the Son would be to agree with the Father about the Son. And the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Read Luke chapter 9, for example. I mean this is one of those kind of moments where you're you have to go, "Huh. This is countercultural. This is not politically correct." And I'm just here to remind you nicely with a smile. It's Christianity 101. That Jesus is the savior. That he's the savior of the world. Meaning Time and time again in John's Gospel account, he's the one and only Savior. The world has a Savior, and the world only has one Savior. But he's... The true savior. He's the risen from the dead tomb is empty savior. He's the one who promised to set you free if you trust in him and you don't have to be in bondage anymore. He's a great and gracious and extraordinary and wonderful savior. But, but if you deny him, if you don't confess him, if you don't agree with the father about his own son, the father's not happy. To oversimplify. We have to remember this. Otherwise, we sound like false teachers. And we're now a half step from being false teachers. Jesus said in John 3.18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. I mean, it's so broad and inclusive and, and gracious and wonderful, truly. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. And notice the logic of it. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I mean, this is just 101 kind of basics. Maybe we're back to Sesame Sesame Street. Right? God has a Son. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He, out of His love, sends His unique, extraordinary Son who volunteered for the job to become one of us, to do everything right because we don't, and then be treated as if He did everything wrong because we have, to make atonement, to bring reconciliation, and to victoriously rise from the dead because He never sinned and He fulfilled all righteousness. And He says, if you believe in Me, you'll have eternal life. That's good news. But to say otherwise would be not on the inside. It would actually be on the outside. Maybe time for another exercise. Some of you are looking kind of sleepy. And I quote, not myself, and I quote, Jesus on the cross, was no longer the Son of God. He was sin. Inside, outside. That's outside. Quote, The minute that blood sacrifice was accepted, Jesus was the first human being that was ever born again. Inside, outside. It's outside. Those are two quotes from New York Times best-selling author who's written over a hundred books, who Charisma Magazine says is has a multifaceted ministry anointed by the Holy Spirit and is one of the world's leading practical Bible teachers. Her name is Joyce Meyer, and Joyce Meyer is outside. She's an antichrist. Don't buy her books. Critical reminder number five. Remember your history. Remember your history. Verse 24 says, Let what you heard from the beginning. That's history. You've heard this from the very beginning of your Christian experience. Maybe even hearkening back to the fact that Jesus is in the beginning as well. John chapter 1. Remember what you heard from the beginning. Abide in you. Let what you heard abide in you. Continue in you. Okay? You don't need to look for something older. You don't need to look for something newer. Just let what you heard from the beginning to, to continue in you. Right? If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, continues in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Ha-ha, I love it. The two words after the dash. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. It's eternal life. What you need to do is is keep abiding in Christ. Keep believing in the one true Jesus. Keep trusting in Him. Stay on the inside. Don't go on the outside because eternal life is found in the inside. And the inside is the one who's the true son of God, the extraordinary one who makes perfect propitiation for our sins, right? Chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Stay there, continue there. Don't flirt with disaster on the outside because on the inside is eternal life. It's a great follow-up to John's Gospel account where Jesus keeps talking about eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. And how does eternal life come? It comes through trusting in Him because He is the life. So stick with the historic, regular, hate to say that, ordinary, I don't even like to say that, plain old, don't want to say that, but you get my point, Jesus Remember your history. And even in your life, remember the Jesus you once believed upon and abide in Him. Because salvation, eternal life, is found in Him. Verse 27 says, and we wrap up, but the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. It continues in you. The Spirit continues in you, in other words. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. I hate to say, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. But it's been used out of context so many times. Let's talk about what it doesn't mean real quick. John's teaching them. And he's not saying, now don't listen to anyone, especially especially apostles named John. Because you don't need me. But remember, he's been reminding them of things. He's not been giving them new stuff. He's been been reminding them of the historic Christ. You don't need anyone to teach you. I'm going to read into that in context. New stuff. Because Jesus has been here already. And Jesus has accomplished his work. And Jesus has ascended and he's given us his spirit to anoint us. Don't let anybody teach you anything new. Because <laughs> it won't be right. It won't be true. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, to borrow from Paul, uh, Christ gave teachers to the church. But I would read Ephesians 4 in light of 1 John chapter 2. Those teachers ought not be teaching anything new about Jesus. It's the same thing. Same reality. Because eternal life, which is what this whole thing is about in verse 25, is uniquely and perfectly found in Jesus. And if we have eternal life in Jesus, we don't need anything new taught to us about eternal life because we already have it but as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. It's great. Continue in Christ. Continue in Christ. Continue in Christ. Continue in Christ. That's where eternal life is found. I think my... Amazing fake glasses are a really bad illustration of 1 John chapter 2. Because these glasses look exactly like the real ones. They really, really, really do look exactly like the real ones. Sometimes false teachers are that smart. But in 1 John chapter 2, you got these kind of false teachers. These were probably two dollars at the hardware store, and I had one of my sons take a permanent marker and write "pock" in the middle. Okay This is what we're dealing with in first John. Generally speaking, false teachers do about this good of a job disguising themselves. All you need to know is the basics. John keeps saying, you know, you know, you know, Sesame Street, inside, outside. This is super, super simple to figure out. It's not that complicated. And maybe that's a bit of a rebuke to us, that we don't know our Bibles very well at all, to know the difference between the inside and the outside. But you don't have to become an expert and figuring out who the fakers are. You just need to know some basic things that you've known since the very beginning of your Christian experience. And you need to abide in that because that's abiding in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for uh, the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that He's a powerful Savior, that He's a sufficient Savior. Um, I love the old wording uh, that says, Jesus saves to the uttermost. And we are grateful this morning that we can trust in him and not in ourselves. And we're grateful that we can be equipped to spot false teachers. May we be kind and gracious, but may we also be truthful uh, regarding those we love and those we care for. May Christ be honored and Christ be glorified. uh, And may we find ourselves doing that very thing, honoring him and glorifying him. In his name we pray, amen.